I'd like to start off this podcast by issuing you another apology. Oh, I'll take it. I am just wearing a nice Travis Matthews Coors Light sweater today. No far wolf for hire t-shirt. I got home late, had to rush down here, couldn't find it. It might be in the wash, but I apologize. But I do have, which you can buy if you're local, a nice Farwell for hire block three beer behind me. I had to put the Molson Canadian one next to it because I am who I am. Um, but I, I had to go and buy a beer at block three. I actually bought a six pack because I am who I am. Uh, <laughs> one has to make it as decoration though. Anyway, Farwell for Hire campaign, day 25 at the time of this recording. What did you do today, Mike? Oh, Popey, honest to goodness, it's all turning into such a blur. Uh, but because <laughs> it's, you know, what's, you know, what's funny is just before we started this podcast and, and I was also, I, we were texting during the week to set this up that we're, you know, we're, here's the time we're going to get to the get together and record. And you're like, can we do a little bit of something beforehand? And I'm like, Popey, like I'm, I'm coming in hot. Like I'm, I'm booked until a half hour before we start and this and that. So I, I got home about 10 minutes early. So about 40 minutes before we started recording, I was home. And then I made a, like a huge mistake. I sat down. Oh, I'm telling you, I almost didn't. And I'm talking, I'm not talking like sinking into the sofa. I'm talking about just sitting down at the dinner table. And I'm like, oh, now I have to get back up again. I'm old. I'm out of shape. I'm a hurting unit. I just, I just got back. Have you ever heard of a, a water cube before? I think it I think like that's a, called an ice cube. No, like, it's I think not. Is this is of. the thing. It's like a rain barrel on steroids, except yes. it's, it's massive. It filled the entirety of the back of the pickup truck that Malul Blamey Construction gives me to help out with my tasks, which is great. Thanks, Malul Blamey, because I had to pick up this honking thing out at some tree farm today and haul it back to this guy's house and then haul it off the truck again and set it all up. And then we weren't done. Then it was the spout for the for the sump pump that needed to be reconnected. And then there was the washing machine that had a needed to be leveled. And there was the Christmas tree. It's May. It's May and the Christmas tree had to go back into the top of the garage. Like, I don't know what the hell. That was just one stop this afternoon, Popey. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm about baked, but, but we're, we're humming. We're humming along. We're pushing towards that goal. You talk about the face for radio IPA from block three, and we got lots of people helping out with lots of things. And uh, hey, you know what you can do? Great shot on YouTube of the face for radio can. Block three has been great to me for many, many years on this campaign. If you are listening anywhere in the province of Ontario, go to rangers5050.com and buy a 50-50 ticket because the jackpot as we record is $14,000. It's only going to go up from there. We're making the draw on June the 6th. And when you when you buy a ticket, you see that jackpot. You're not getting just half that. That's your share. And cystic fibrosis is also getting a share. So if you buy a ticket at rangers5050.com, a jackpot goes up and so too does the money we raise for cystic fibrosis. So there you go. Real, real quick note on that. Rangers don't get anything. Just using nope. the rangers5050.com. I'm just pointing it up. That Good point. This isn't yes. a rangers5050. Just using the rangers reach charity arm of the rangers organization to work the 5050 for far well for hire. You nailed it because see, I may be able to move a, a water cube and, and level a washing machine, but I cannot run a 50-50. So I called in some <laughs> friends and, and Rangers Reach were those friends. And uh, yeah, so they're just backing me up on that one. I'm on vacation this week and I've already filled in the holes in the backyard. But if you're looking for something to do, maybe Thursday or Friday, I have a couple pumpkins maybe from Halloween you could take. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the Christmas tree, might as well do Halloween now. Hey, can we talk though? 
about the holes in the backyard because my beloved is obsessed <sighs> with filling ours for like the fifth or sixth time. I'm like, yeah. honey, I love you. We need to stop doing this because the dog does not stop digging them or redigging them. Have you had success in stopping Gus from digging or redigging the holes? Uh, <laughs> well, the other day, so I filled them. Grassy did the whole thing, water, blah, blah, blah. The other day, my brother and his family are coming over. I hadn't seen them in a little while. So they came over just for a beer in the backyard, hang out for a couple hours. Well, the dogs are out there. It's hot. I was just about to fill Gus's pool up because he's a golden retriever. The guy goes bananas over the hose and pools like next worldly. He'll sit next to the hose. If the hose is just off in the backyard, like laying down, he'll sit next to it until you want to play with him with the hose. That's the kind of attention he wants from the water. Anyway. So I say to my brother, I'm like, Hey, you okay with your dog getting wet? I'm like, I'm going to fill up this pool. And he's like, no, he's not going to my truck. If he's wet couple half hour goes by dogs are <laughs> panting like crazy he goes yeah whatever fill up the pool i doubt he'll even go in it fast forward to fill up the pool they're goofing around having some fun well then the four of us start talking and we forget about the dogs and i look back and right next to the pool is a hole that i filled and that hole is now ripped out and both dogs head and paws are in there and they wet dog digging up fresh topsoil you can imagine what both those dogs look like so besides that one yes i've had some success but it's still early it's only been a week the best news about that is your brother's muddy dog had to go back in his truck that's a that's a win for you it's nice sorry sorry nick sorry right i know i say it all the time hey you're the guy with three kids a dog and a cat it's not me okay you got to worry about all these problems my life is pretty simple <laughs> he hates it but no he, I it. it was great to have the kids over it was great to have the dogs over we had actually had the kids last friday for a sleepover set up the little living room put the air mattress out ordered some chips and treats from the convenience store off skip skip the dishes because the kids think think it's hilarious and yeah it was a good time but uh the holes we're knocking on wood if anybody have if you are listening to this podcast and you have any solution to stop my dog from digging holes other than yeah other than sprinkling cayenne pepper across our entire backyard every week we would love some tips (laughs) because we're both struggling and we both looks like they're transporting a pet cemetery into our backyard right now Farwell and Pope at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, you'll find Poper on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope, and you'll find me at Farwell underscore OHL. These dogs and their behavior, it's almost like it's criminal. I mean, if if I were if I were watching for a crime or I saw one in progress, it would be happening in my backyard the way the dog digs the hole. So maybe what I'm gonna do is call one 800 222 tips that's the number for crime stoppers your anonymity is assured you can get up to two thousand dollars for every tip that you provide if it leads to an arrest in the case and waterloo region crime stoppers is our proud sponsor and supporter on this podcast we love the work that they do the volunteers that get involved there's a golf tournament coming up again this summer because everything they do is fundraised so just remember you can be a partner in your community if you see a crime in progress if you see something that needs the attention of police 1-800-222-TIPS your anonymity is guaranteed or local of course to our region go to waterloocrimestoppers.com and you can put in your tip electronically as well over to Guelph where Cam Allen won uh, rookie of the year your thoughts I like it I like it a lot. I remember 
a game in the season between the Rangers and the Storm where he had his first career hat trick. And he was one of those guys, because we got to see him so much, you could see the progression in his game, right? I remember you and I even talking about him prior to one of the games with some of the scouts or the others in the media room, just because, again, you could see that progression. And that's only through the 10 viewings that that we got through the season. So I, I, I liked seeing it happen. And I, I liked that it went to a defenseman or something about that, that I appreciate from the league. So uh, certainly a deserving nod from where I'm sitting. He's a stud. Yeah. There's no, like this guy came in and if Guelph didn't have such an experienced and older back end, he's probably their number one defenseman. Like he is so good. And when George drafted him, he had talked about how, he, he thought he was the only defenseman that could come in and be your power play quarterback, like right away. And I think he could have done that. He basically, George went out and drafted a guy to fill in for Daniel Chaka when Chaka leaves now. And they found a guy. I, I love his game and the defense core with Michael Bushinger back there, another first round selection with the Guelph Storm and all those forwards. Man, golf's going to be fun for the next couple. Not so fun for Rangers fans, but a lot of fun for hockey fans over the next couple of years. Well, and you talk about Rangers fans and even coming into the season that just ended, there was talk that the Rangers were going to do this past season what they did. And that was sell off some assets because they needed to recoup some draft picks, et cetera. And then they'd be gearing up for 22-23. But look at that division. The Midwest division is going to be a nightmare with the way Owen Sound looks, with the way Guelph looks. London is always strong. Erie is on its way back up. Man, oh man, that division's going to be a lot of fun. What else is watch. there? Yeah, good point. <laughs> right? Very good point. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, as much as we talk about the, the Midwest division, it's two teams left in the Western Conference from the West division, Windsor and Flint. I'm still surprised at this point. And I, I mean, look, I'm not going to be welcome back in the Dort when we go there next year. I mean no disrespect, but I, I am. I'm just being honest. I'm surprised. I'm I'm owning to what I said coming into the playoffs, and I think a lot of folks felt that way. Uh, we just talked to Mark Woolley on on the podcast last week, and we mentioned it to him. A lot a lot of people had Owen Sound as the sexy upset pick in round one. In round now, if the Firebirds are in round three, and it was because everybody thought, you know. Well, I know I did. Early in the season, they racked up wins against Saginaw and Erie, blah, blah, blah. They are more than holding their own. Uh, we saw the Windsor Spitfires firsthand. I thought that after the first two games of that second round against the Rangers, it was as though the Spits just said, okay, we're, we're getting rid of you, seven seed. Get off our backs, you pesky dog. Shake that leg and get it off your, your pant cuff. But boy, oh boy, the, the Flint Firebirds are still right there it's 1-1 in the series as we record this right now and certainly not embarrassing themselves by any stretch so don't sleep on flint is what i'm saying i'm right with you i'm surprised they are where they are listen i love flint go back and listen to any of our podcasts talking about flint i have ranted and raved that i wanted to be there for a playoff game for so long and here they are having that playoff success and i can't go or rather just don't go but still (laughs) it's a long drive uh i still want them to be successful, but I never had them making it this far. I, I really didn't. I They were always near the top of the West Division and stuff, but I just didn't think they really had that level that other teams did. Well, and can we just say, again, no disrespect to the Windsor Spitfires, because I love what Bill Bowler has done there. He was not shy about making moves this season. We, we've talked about that on the podcast before, but maybe it is time. Like, Windsor, get the hell out of the way and let somebody else have some success. We talk about London everybody in the OHL talks about London, the big green giants, and everybody loves to hate them. Let's not forget three, three 
Memorial Cups for the Windsor Spitfires in what was it nine years? Yeah, and and now they're back into a Western Conference final where they were in 2011 after their back-to-back Memorial Cup. So they win in 09, they win in 10, they go to the West final in 2011, they they win again in 17, the Memorial Cup, and and here they are this year back into the Western final at minimum. I mean, hey, Windsor, share the love. Let somebody else have a little taste of success. Go Flint is what I'm saying. Love you, Spitfires. Oh, and I love I love Antonio Antonino's pizza. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. 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 And Gennaro's. Um, yeah. Oh, Gennaro's. Gennaro. Enzo, I'm just joking, buddy. We'll see you. <laughs> Bring out the shots. Next, we'll talk about this. We'll, we'll figure it out. All that success for Windsor, though, and they're just enjoying the ride because they've won their first playoff series since 2011. Yeah. That's true. the thing you have to remember, right? Yeah, the Memorial Cups are great, and we talk about them a lot. Three Memorial Cups in nine years. But no play, no series win since 2011. What would that do in this, like in Kitchener's market? No playoff wins? I can well, tell you what it would do. Kitchener's market is already restless enough. Well, exactly. Right? And and there there have been playoff wins, but there haven't been championships. I'd still, yeah. honestly, I get your point. I'd still take the championships any day of the week. Well, of course you do. There's banners. Yeah. That's all it takes. And you know what? Whoever does come out, whether it is Flint or Windsor, good luck. Good <laughs> luck. I mean... Is is it just me or are the Hamilton Bulldogs getting better series by series? They are an absolute buzzsaw running through this league right now. It's it's honestly insane. Like you, you think back to some of those records of what is it? Tw- what did you say? F- uh, Sixteen and two is that the best? Sixteen o- and two is the best playoff record. Uh, London owns that, and then fourteen right. and zero. Oh, the uh, nineteen Ottawa sixty sevens set that to start the playoffs and then lost after they won the first two games of the OHL final Guelph took the next four. So those are the two records that are being chased 14 and 0 to start 16 and two overall. Yeah. And I just don't know how, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can test a team that has two shutouts already in the, in the playoffs through the first two rounds, they've outscored North Bay in the first two games that are finished. Their third one's playing right now in North Bay. Um, but in those games in Hamilton, they outscored the North Bay Battalion 10-2. <laughs> so that's that's good. That's dominant. Is that I, what you're getting at? Let me just run the numbers again. 10 much larger than two. Yes, I believe yeah. that's pretty good. And again, this is North Bay. This isn't a, a slouch of a team. This is a team that was near the top of the conference all year long. And what, what they're doing to everyone is just, you just shake your head. They're so deep. Their they're, they're defense, like, well, let's start with, their, their goaltender that Hamilton believes he's one of the best goaltenders, if not the best goaltender in the league, Marco Constantini. And then their back end from Jack guy and Steos all the way down. And then their forwards like Hayes, McTavish, Middleton. It's crazy how good that hockey team is. I hope that again, game three right now in that East final is being played right now at this time, it's just the end of the second and Hamilton's up four, three. So a little closer, but I don't think they've had a one goal game. Oh no, they did. They had, a, they won in overtime. That's right. To oust Mississauga. That was their first and only one goal game, this playoffs. And that was in game four to sweep Mississauga, Arbor Jack, I overtime winner ball game. You just mentioned a, a name a moment ago that I just want to mention again. I've, I know I've talked about him at, at points along the podcast through this season. And we give Arbor Jack, a, a lot of uh, press for, I think, very good reason. The story is well known. We saw him, 
move through the ranks here in Kitchener, but I am a huge, and I mean a huge Nathan Steos fan. I love what that guy brings to the ice and uh, not surprised at all to see the success of this Bulldogs team. They're just, uh, they're well-built. And we've talked about Steve Steos, the way he put yeah. this team together, the moves he made at the deadline with an already good team to make it a much better team. And they are paying dividends to this point, certainly in the playoffs. I said um, Middleton. And I meant Winterton. My apologies. I'm from Palmerston. Stratford's close. Keegan yeah, the Middleton boys have, yeah, they've gone through already. My apologies. Anyway, yeah, just a yeah. buzzsaw. Crazy. All right. Uh, your Palmerston boy, uh, Stratford's close. So too is the fine city of Kitchener. And uh, hey. my, old, my old college buddy, my old, well, I, I can't really call him that, but the, the well, no, parallels... I, think, I think, I think you, I'm going to stop you because I, I okay. normally do the intro to the clip, but yeah. you have to do this one. <laughs> do I have to? Yeah, come on. Well, it, listen, it, this is just, for me, it was, it was always fun seeing this guy in the Ontario Hockey League. Because when I started in the league as a broadcaster, he was an official. And I'm like, I remember this name. Oh, yeah. Because when I was in college studying broadcasting, there was actually, there was, there was a league called the OCAA, the Ontario Collegiate Athletics Association, which just don't exist anymore. But I... I covered the Conestoga College Condors as I learned my way through this broadcasting thing. And I know I've still got a lot of learning to do. But back then, there was a standout player in the Ontario Collegiate Athletics Association named Joel Washkarak. He was tearing it up with the Conestoga College Condors. He went on to become a referee in the Ontario Hockey League after having played in the OHL uh, with Kingston before ending up in the OCAA. And we reconnect on this week's episode of OHL Stories. For Waterloo Crime Stoppers. Washer, I'm sure throughout this podcast, like every other podcast, we'll talk about a lot of the players you played against and a lot of the players you played with. We'll maybe even get in talking about your sons. However, I need to ask you about that guy. Why no? Oh, yeah. I want to ask him. Yeah, no, okay. give me a good Mike Farwell well, story from your he time. Was just, you know. Sniffing around the arenas, always wanted to talk to those those lugs that played for Conestoga College. It was good. How many how many interviews we had Farzi together back in the day? I'll tell you, I can tell you this much, Washer. I always looked up to you. Literally, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's where I, that's why I wanted to start the same kind of way. I, w- I was going to start you real easy with like a true and false here, or a true or false. True or false that you still hold the OCAA record for most points ever scored by a Conestoga College Condor? Come on. I don't know that. I, I don't I, know. I, but I, I, I will tell you this. Um, pre, like Just at the start of COVID, when we were first in our first shutdown, uh, Scotty Strachan must have been cleaning his garage or something, and he took a picture of my statistics in the league, and I was like third in league scoring. There was a couple guys from Cambrian College that were ahead of me and one other guy from Seneca, I think. But the, the, the points were like within one or two or three. But I killed them in penalty minutes. I think I had like 100, 114 or 134 penalty minutes and was like third in scoring. And I showed my kids and, and my wife was just like, oh, my God, man, you wonder where they get it from. Exactly. Right? And, and but you just, forget about stuff like that, right? Because it was all, for, you know, as you know, as far as you followed us, like my first two years, we won national titles. So it was all about the win, right? I, I just, I, I remember that my first, my first 
uh, championship. I won tournament MVP, which was good because, you know, I just, you know, I tried to play the game the right way and I found a little skill on the side there, but didn't mind the, the sandpaper side of the, the, the tour neither. Right. So just to give everybody the background on what this is all about, the OCAA doesn't even exist anymore. Collegiate sports don't happen, but washer's not, He's not lying. I was sniffing around the room trying to, because I was at Conestoga College to study broadcasting, and we had a hockey team there. and And Joel Washkarak, no, no BS, was the star of that hockey team. Yeah, well, I mean, Scotty right. might say something different, but yeah, for sure. No, there was well, there was like uh, Darren Kinnear, uh, Dave Long. Like my first two years, my first two years, Chris, because you asked the question. Like we had probably three or four for sure. OHL players on my on my team and then a couple like you know had a had a cup of coffee with OHL teams there were times uh, I remember going into at Christmas the University of Guelph Christmas tournament and uh, we would we were beating um, university teams and it, it didn't go over well with the university squads right like the guys didn't like it up in the in Griff's there in the bar afterwards but we didn't care we had a pretty decent team. And, and if all the other guys that, that didn't play in the OHL all came from either the Waterloo Siskins or the, the uh, Dutchman who had just won it, um, like Hooksy and uh, God rest his soul, uh, Corey Stoiko, like all those guys that all won the Sutherland Cup that uh, previous years. So it was, a, it was a really good, really good team, right? I'm not sure if uh, when Kean was playing in the league, if you listened to our broadcast or if you were there watching, but I don't think we had a Mississauga game on the broadcast without Joel getting mentioned as the standout for the Conestoga Condors. <laughs> he's every even, single he's even Twitter. He's putting it on Twitter or Twitter or whatever. He, he, as far as he's throwing it on Twitter and then Kenny Longball's there up in Ottawa is chiming in and, I walked up there in the draft and he's like, so you're a superstar. Eh? And I was like, no, Farsi was drinking during class on his assignments, right? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. 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 You know, I just tried to play the game the right way. I tried to install that in the kids that I coached. And of course my own two boys that play, even my daughter. Right. So. Talk to us about that, playing the game the right way, especially when you come into the Ontario Hockey League and play for a guy named Mavity. Yeah. So my first interactions with Mav were, uh, I was a six-round pick. I think I was uh, went in the sixth round, but I was the fourth pick in the draft. And I remember uh, at, at that summer, I was uh, planned to work at Cooper Sports Camp in Appleby College. So I, uh, I was uh, very uh, fortunate my, the summer going into my draft year. You'll, you'll know all these guys I know. So Roger Hunt, uh, who's the GM of Oshawa, was uh, hockey, the instructors. My cousin Joe, uh, Mike Kelly, Pete DeBoer, and then uh, Marty McSorley. And all those guys used to come in from Cayuga and play with uh, myself, uh, Russ Harrington, who is Spotter's uh, brother-in-law, uh, Kyle Merkley, who was Ryan Merkley's dad, who was drafted in my same year to North Bay. But we used to play, we used to work at, at Appleby College at Cooper Sports Camp with all those guys who ended up having prosperous hockey careers, right? Both as players and uh, on the hockey upside. 
right? But where it helped me is I remember first meeting Mav at like a team barbecue. They just had the, the, the draftees up to a resort. I forget where it was. I went there with my parents. Oh, Washer, we lost your audio. We can't hear you right now. I don't know whether you just, it sounded like we heard something click. You hear me now? Yep. yep we got there you, you are. So, so we're, so I'll just recap. So we, we are at the team barbecue and I, I went up to Mav and I asked him if, if there was uh you know, off ice testing before we went on the ice and he sort of looked at me and he was like, you don't effing run on the ice. Do you kid? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I didn't, you know, no, sir, no, sir. Right. But uh, I'll tell you with playing from Larry Mavity, I, I would do it. Uh, without a drop of a hat you know I was up here I was up there when they did his uh his banner raising and Mav and I kept in touch even after I uh, finished playing loved playing for him he was just that guy that he just had your back and uh he let you play the way you wanted to play you know he he was more pushing because of his own style you tend to coach to the style that you played yourself right which was very aggressive and that sandpaper hard working um you know type canvas or fabric but he also did well with the with the uh, skills guys except he sort of gravitated more towards you know the 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 ham and eggers or the sandpaper type players right and then let the skill guys just you know do their skill thing right I'm, I'm you, you, you did a good job of just talking about Mav. Um, but I, I'm thinking about some of our younger listeners and Farwell and I talk a lot lately about the league needs to do more to get these younger people involved in the league and coming to games. And they may hear the name Larry Mavity and they hear stories on this podcast, but what is it about him that made him s- such a big personality? Like, yes, he had that big voice and everything, but what was it that made him so successful? And because you said it, you'd play for him tomorrow. A lot of people that play for him come on and they rant and rave about what a great yeah, coaching guy he was. Because he was that guy. Yeah. Like he, 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 he wasn't a big personality. He was that heavy voice on the ice. He pushed you. He yelled at you. He didn't put up with, uh, you, you know, with meteorocracy. Like he didn't, your game shouldn't be average. You had to put it all on the line. And if you did that for him, right, he would go through the wall for you. And he would always welcome you and your family. We'd talk all the time. Like we even went, even after I finished playing uh, for, for math, right. And I, I hear the guys on the podcast as well saying that, right. He was just that type of guy where, you know, we were up there in Kingston in November. There was like Mush, Brian Marshman, uh, Steve Bancroft, and Thorty, right? Same. They would probably all tell you the same thing, right? Yabber, if you had, you, Mike told me that he was talking to Yabber. Yabber sat right beside me in my stall for like two years, right? So I keep in touch with those meatheads. I keep in touch with probably three quarters to all of my teammates back in Kingston. And then some of the new guys like Kelly Corps and Mike Dawson, who now scouts for Seattle. Like I see all those guys. I actually see Tony Similero and Mike Dawson. I usually stop off in Kingston on my way up to training camp and usually stay at Simmers or Dawson's. And then the next morning I'll get up, have a coffee down by the waterfront and then head to head to Ottawa. 
there's there there's times here and I, I won't ever divulge that I'm getting soft in my old age but there were times where I think two years ago pre-COVID I grabbed a coffee and went and the guy let me in at the old Memorial Gardens where I played and it was just me in the arena and that big picture of the queen at the one end right where the Zamboni came out I was just like you know you're just recapping and reflecting your life right because Kingston was a great city and you know I go back there all the time and it's it's I, I had such fond memories of playing for the Kingston Frontenacs and living in Kingston. I still keep in touch with guys that didn't play on the Kingston Frontenacs that I went to school with there. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to remember that washer has gone soft. It's good to know yeah. that sandpaper, that hard nosed player that we've known for so long right. and that we'll, we're going to get into refereeing too. Don't worry yeah, about it. But sure. um, we did indeed talk to Yaber. First of yeah. all, he got a says, message for you. Yep. He says you're a jackass. So there you go. Oh, we're uh, allowed to say a swear on here? Perfect. Oh, yeah. What the heck? Oh, yeah. Podcast. <laughs> Second of all, he told us a little story from his side of it about yeah. you as a rookie. And I guess the rookie part party was either happening or maybe you didn't know, but they had to get you out of bed to go to the rookie party. What was it like from your end being awakened? I don't remember to- that. <laughs> What's he talking about? What, I don't was know. It, was it during the? I, I'm not sure. He said they had to go and pull you out of bed. He did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember, guys. To be honest, I think with you. I think that was part of like the. I, I'm no, I'm lacking for a better word, but the initiation, you know, of like, hey, get up, we're going. All of a sudden, there's three vets in your room, and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. You're right. Well, I live with some big guys there, right? I, I my first year, I lived with Drake Barahowski. Um, and Mike Bonner, Chuck, right? But I uh, again, I, they might have had. Been, I think we had the rookie party where at my billet house, to be honest with you. So I was probably having a nap, right, not knowing what I was getting into. But they had us running back then. Everything sort of was on the table at the rookie party. But I never had. I had great vets. Like they were, they always treated us good. We we were we had a very 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 cohesive uh, hockey team right in Kingston. So. Yeah, Yabber said the same thing. The bed part, but, though, but you know, I'm might have been a nap. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was well, a long night. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> what was life like in Kingston, playing in the OHL? That's a awesome, awesome city. That's yeah, a great city. We we had my first year. I I again, I told you where I sort of went. We had 19 veterans, so you had to do whatever it took to, to, to make it as a 17 year old, which I was fortunate enough that I did. Right. Just because I play, I surpassed some of our earlier picks, but uh, it was because you ended up playing more of Mavs style. Right. But I didn't play a lot. Right. So, you know, I, I, we had 19 veterans. We had a really good team. We had, uh, you know, all through the year, we never had dips and valleys or ups and flows, right? We, we had a really good team and we pretty much just sort of shit the bed in the playoffs when we played game seven. I think we, I, it could be even now for the record, one of the longest OHL games in, in playoff history with the Belleville Bulls. I think it went into three overtime periods. And Yabber wouldn't tell you this, but my line mates, Nathan Lafayette and Tony Samalero would. So in that longest game in OHL history, I played one shift in the first period. I never Nothing else. It. and and I would get we talk about it now and and Simmer will say to me Washer well, remember like and then and then uh the the coach would I think it was Danny Flynn and Sean McKenzie were coaching in Belleville at the time 
the, uh, the rookie line, the fourth line that we were playing against would be Brent Gretzky, Jake Grimes, and Karts, Darren McCarty, right? So we had some – We I, I don't know if you got into it with Yabber or not, but I remember one – my first year, Yabber fought Steve Bancroft. So Yabber and Banger were going at it on the ice, and Steve Bancroft's father and Tony Yob's dad fought in the in the stands and went at each other in the stands, and I, I, I just total chaos. And I think it was Belleville, but it could have been Kingston too. But anyway, we had some some rival uh, games against uh, against the Belleville Bulls for sure, and the Oshawa Generals, right? Because come second half, that's when. Eric Lindros showed up right when he didn't report to the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds. So. You talked about playing with that sandpaper washer. And when we look up Joel Washcrack videos online, uh, some of the first ones we see are you chucking them and, and you could throw. Uh, yeah. What was it? What was your first OHL fight like? Uh, my, my, my first OHL fight and probably my last was against Darren McCarty. So Darren and McCarty and I fought in exhibition. We fought so much that uh, we became buddies like uh, over the course of the summers, we also worked at Canon hockey school in Guelph together. But I, I, I was reflecting when you gave me, we're gracious enough to give me this. I, you know, I was thinking, Oh, this is going to come up, right? Like carts and I would fight every game. And then the, you know, the people would be like, you know, taking sides depending on where we fought, whether it was in Belleville or whether it was in Kingston. And then we, you know, over the course of the, the my second year and third year, right. Um, we became buddies and we would just talk in the bench, but you know, I, I was fortunate enough to fight like, I think Rod Pasma, who's like six, five Darian Hatcher, who's my age. We fought in North Bay, Jeff Riccardi, Jeff Riccardi, um, who played in Ottawa. He now scouts for the Sudbury Wolves. So when I saw him at the OHL cup, uh, me, him and Denny Lambert were talking and, and, uh, Ricky says to me, Hey, watcher, you think we can go at it one more time? I was like, yeah, I'm sure I got it in me now, but I don't like your backup. I had no, he's got Danny Lambert. And I was like, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm going to pass on this one. Right. But my, you'll know this Farzi, because one of the guys, I, my very first year and we didn't have social media, so you can never tap into it. But I remember playing my parents. I grew up most of my life in London, but my dad worked for the Canadian government. So every three to seven years, he was transferred different places, right? But at the time, I, I grew up most of my life in London playing AAA, moved to Oshawa, and then from Oshawa, midgets got drafted to Kingston. But my, it's when I went to Kingston, my parents moved to Guelph, where my dad's originally from. And I ended up fighting a guy by the name of Rob Sankster my very first year. So I fought Tough this kitchener boy. Oh my God. I, I fought this savage and I thought, okay, okay. I, I did pretty good. And the back of my ears were hurting and I thought, okay, you know what? This guy, this is not going to go away. You just had that feeling, right? That sixth sense. And I thought, okay, I, I don't know I'll fight this guy. He'll come to Kingston and then I won't have to see this guy again. But in between when I fought him in, Kitchener and I fought him in Kingston I realized that he led the league in penalty minutes the previous year to he had like 400 penalty minutes and I was like oh man like some of the shit you just do as a kid right you bit bite off more than you can chew and I we also had a like Yauber could throw him Mark Major Jamie Allen John Nelson like we had a tough tough team as well right so you can run around a little full of confidence and and you know piss and vinegar sort of thing 
But anyway, sure shit, uh, Kitchener came to Kingston and I got called. Uh, Rob Sangster comes right over to the bench and he calls me on and sure, sure shit, Mav kicks me and he says, okay, go get him, kid. So I, we fought and then we're in the box. The fight's over and the, in, the, in the old Memorial Gardens, the, the penalty box is right beside the Kingston bench. Well, doesn't Rob Sangster say, hey, rookie, why don't you leave your bucket in the box? So we stepped out of the box and went at it again. Okay, now listen, I'm a 17-year-old guy. I might have weighed 165 soaking wet my, my very first year. And I thought, okay, this is all right. I'll just take my lumps. You know, I'll do the best I can, which I did. And I don't have to see this guy ever again. Trade deadline. He gets traded to the Ottawa 67s and I got to play them another eight more times. And I was like, Oh man, like what did I ever do in my 17 (laughs) years of living to deserve this? Right. But anyway, I've got to, I, I obviously was uh, over here when in Guelph, I used to, you know, in the summers, I used to come over here to either Don Cherry's or Loose Change Louis with like racers, uh, Johnny Spoltor, Troy Stevens, Stroey, all the guys, right? And uh, I met my wife at, uh, at Loose Change Louis and I've been stuck here for 27 years in this beautiful city of Kitchener, Waterloo. I really thought you were going to say stuck with her for this long. I was oh, like, no, this no, guy's no, going no, off no, the rails. You no. are going to be oh, in some hey, serious listen, trouble. Chris, man, I, for 27 years to put up with my, oh man, she's a, she's a saint. She's a saint. I'm a, oh, we are going. Yeah. No, no. Smart. Okay. Never. Uh, you, you mentioned Sangster and McCarty and you got to be a little loopy to go fight those guys. But what on earth were you thinking fighting Darian Hatcher? you know what i just I, I don't even remember the outcome of the fight but i i just remember you i couldn't even get anywhere near him i could reach was like i probably said that about two seconds sitting in the box after fighting him i just did you know what chris to be honest with you i just uh i i i didn't play much because of my first year right with the 19 veterans and uh i just thought you know what I'll, you got to contribute somehow so uh, you know what i was never shy to do that in the schoolyard right so i thought you know once you do one once you have one fight you do okay right the confidence level just builds and then your your tactics and stuff like that right so but there back then like you had again i mentioned them today like uh, scotty thornton like 30 30 would probably be a 30 40 goal scorer in the ohl back at the time but he was tough as nails like you had guys that could play the game too but also brought that that sandpaper where now you know i played with a guy justin morrison i i tell him when i when i talk to him mo your your record will never be broken because he had 100 points in the ohl which is not an easy task but he also had 200 penalty minutes like his, I said to him, that record will never get broken. Like any, any player coming up through the system now that has a hundred points, well, I'd hope they'd have at least 20 penalty minutes, but you never know that, right? And my kids would, or they'd be in trouble, but you know, uh, you know but again, you now, if you're a goal scorer, that's what you do. You don't, you, you know, you just play that skill side of the game, right? Yeah. It's I such just a think, good point. I just think of Hatch. I've, I've told Farzi this 
being down, uh, waiting for the Sarnia thing to come into the rink for the post or pregame interviews. And he's carrying like a, a suitcase or like a bag. And it's basically on the ground. His arms are yeah, so He's a monster of a man. Yeah. Like you don't think about it, right? Like I was sort of reminiscing about, uh, you know, it's trying to feel, you know, think of the questions that you guys might ask. Right. And I, I, I just remember fighting him and I couldn't get anywhere. And yeah, when you fight a guy like that, you you have to get in close, right? Yeah. Or he's just gonna he's gonna drape you with the midnight danglers all over <laughs> your nose. I love right. Hatch. We got to get him on here. We we talked about the same thing with Yaber around the game today because you you guys obviously played a similar style. You knew what you had to do, Hasher. You went out there and you you did your thing and you didn't you didn't back down. How do you feel about especially with kids in the game? How do you feel about the game today versus when you were playing it? So I think the, the, the kids today are a lot more skilled, a lot uh, faster, in a, you know, can play the game, can think the game. It all depends on the fabric of what you look for, right? But back then, when, when Yaber and I and, and that whole era of late 80s, early 90s played, right, it was uh, it, you're, 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 you're play, being able to play both ways was being able to fight. Right. And having success fighting, you won't see that like now, like now you look at kids and you'll say, hey, you know what? They're tough, but they're not you're they're not tough in terms of fighting because you never see that in midget hockey and you very rarely see it in the OHL. But how that translates where back in the, the, the 90s, you, you needed to play the game, but you also needed to protect yourself and your teammates through fighting. Now you just need to be tough to play against, right? Uh, in my opinion, there's still tough kids that play in the OHL. But he, again, people used to say when Kean was going through it, hey, is your, is your boy as tough as you are? And I'd be like, nah, I really don't know. Uh, you know, I try to do tough love here at home to some degree, but you really don't know it until he gets punched in the nose. He's going to do one of two things. He's either going to fight back or he's going to turtle. And if he turtles, he's going to get it when he comes in here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying, that mentality, right? So I've been fortunate that way where both my boys play a similar style. You know, they're not afraid to stand up for themselves or their teammates, right? So you mentioned a couple of names, and I think I know the answer to this question, but were you ever scared of a fight in the OHL? Never, never scared of a fight because it was I never was one of those guys and I didn't get to the next level where it was staged, right? Where you could think about it, you know, days in advance. It was just like, you know, back then when you're you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, you just knew that, you know, it could come at any point, you know, like I said, with, with cards, with Darren McCarty, um, you know, it just happened all the time. Jeff McCarty, we fought quite a bit, right. But it just, it's a style of game that I played. You knew it was coming because I, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't like overly, overly skilled, you know, I had some skill, but you know, I, I just wanted to play that 200 foot hockey game and that's what you pride yourself on. And I, I pride myself on this. And I even say it to my kids, especially Kian. Now I said, you know what, you are what you value, right? That's uh, I'm big on that. And you know what, be proud of that. Right. Because sometimes like being that, you know, the hardest worker or relentless on the forecheck, I always used to tell my sons, well, Kian for sure, hard on the puck, you know, you want to be the first on the puck, but you want to be the first back because when he was going through it, 
right? The 30, 40, 50 goals a season would, you know, would come to an end and Adam and Pee Wee and you just try and push the, the 200 complete. Now you watch the NHL playoffs and regular season. There's, there's not too many guys that don't play 200 foot hockey games. Right. So I'll be kind to the Leafs. So Please do. <laughs> they need it. Uh, <laughs> you talked earlier, and I, I shouldn't have chirped you for, for being soft about that coffee oh, in the old Memorial Gardens. I know. I was, But honestly, because when I walk out of the Memorial Auditorium on Friday nights after my post-game show, and it's only me and, and some of the arena staff, it's one of my favorite times in the empty, quiet arena. But going back to that old Memorial Gardens, like that place was a barn washer. I know we can recognize that now for what it was, but what was one of your favorite or least favorite rinks to play in back in the day? Well, (laughs) probably I have a story about the the arena in Cornwall and I won't swear because there was no swearing. Well, there was sort of swearing, but I, you know what, if you can't laugh, you gotta, you can't laugh at yourself. Who can you laugh at? Right. So I, I played in Cornwall my first year. And this fan says to me, hey, wash your crack. Is that a name or an appliance? <laughs> and I was like, God. like, I was like, what? <laughs> what? It, but you, you can't say anything because that fan's got you, right? And it's just like, wow, is that ever, that's sort of a good one. <laughs> can't go. And I remember, I remember sort of just putting my head down and the, you know, my, the guys beside me were just sort of, sort of giggling and laughing. And I was like, oh man, I got to go and play harder than that. Right. <laughs> but I remember now that you say this, I remember Mav getting it into, into it with that fan that was chirping me. Right. And like threatening to go into the crowd and back then, right. You know, he would have. <laughs> Yeah, he would have, right? Like back then, like Bill LaForge, man. I, re- I remember when Bill LaForge coached my very first year, uh, we played an exhibition game or very early in the season, we were in Niagara Falls and he laced our bench with sand, right? So we would lose our, we would lose our edges and Mav was going bananas, right? And then, you know, when Mav goes bananas, you know what happens out on the ice, right? There is no hockey game and it's like rock'em, sock'em hockey. Right. But stuff like that, you know, you, that would never fly today. That guy would be, you know, Bill, he'd be suspended indefinitely in, in today's day and age. Right. You talked about but, Matt. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. No, no. I was just going to go back to your question about one of the arenas to play in. Probably, you know, obviously the Guelph Memorial. I, I like the, I, I, I didn't mind, but I didn't love playing in Belleville because you, uh, being that Olympic size, it was the only Olympic size rink in the, you know, in the league. Right. But the smaller, for me, guys, in the way I played, the smaller rinks were way better. I remember playing in Sudbury my first year where we, we were winning and uh, like four one go and they came back and tied it. We couldn't even hear uh, the referees whistles. It was that loud in the arenas. And I remember like playing against Eric Lindros, like the, the, the arenas were very, very busy, very, very loud and chaotic, right? It was the, it was those old arenas where the crowd was right on top of you. Even the old Oshawa Civic Center was like that. Not these new ones where the, where the crowd is sort of spread out. Right. So when the, when the crowd is over top of you, right, it just, it, it just heightens that intensity. Right. So, I know, I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit here, but yeah, how, sure. how, how does somebody who played in the OHL with Kingston end up working for Ottawa? 
I well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and is that okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was okay. It, it probably wouldn't sit well with Jr. when my kid was going to Mississauga and boy, he drafted it. But, but what happened? What happened there was Kean got drafted like by uh, you know Jr. and James Boyd and Jan Eggert. Um, at the time where the Boydy was the GM, of course, and Jan Eggert was the AGM and then uh, JR was the coach. So Kean went there. I had been looking to, I, I think in 2014, I reached out to a bunch of teams. Uh, Guelph Storm was one of them, Kingston, um, Boydy and Mississauga to reach out just to start the process. I even met Spotter and, Mur and Murray Huber one uh, time for lunch at the Chill to just talk about next steps. I had finished refereeing um, after 17 years. Kean was sort of on his way to going on his own. My other middle boy, Caden, he was playing, I think at the time, double A and just made the jump to triple A. And I was just looking at, you know, the five-year plan. And when these guys are doing their own thing, what am I going to do? Like I've been part of the OHL since I was 17, right? It's been a part of my life. You know, the, the refereeing years were great, but uh, when Boydie went to Ottawa, a local boy here, Jerry Skrypek, was at the time the Ottawa 67's area scout for the Alliance. So Boydie called me in September and said, hey, Washer, are you interested in scouting for us? Skrysey's not coming back. So not that I didn't trust Boydie. I just didn't. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. So I got on the phone and talked to, to Skrysey and asked him. And he's like, no, Washer, I'm done. It's all yours, bud. And then it just started from there. So I started, started scouting for, for Ottawa in the 2002 date of birth draft. So, so let's not gloss too much over that 17 years as a referee, because these parallels kind of, they, they catch me every once in a while, right? I'm trying to start out in broadcasting. There's Joel Washkarak on the ice with the Conestoga college condors. I, I get my way finally into the OHL and I got to see this Washkarak out there as a damn referee. Like what's happening to me here, but what possessed you to go from a guy that was on the receiving end of some chirps as a player, probably because of your style, to putting on the orange armbands? Yeah. So how that started, Farzi, was my dad was uh, really good friends with uh, the Holodes, who owned the Holoday Platers, right? Obviously with the Ukrainian backgrounds, through my grandfather and the Dvorskis. Ah, yeah. So Mr. Dvorsky... Um, I uh, was sitting at my table drinking coffee and probably something else with my father on a Saturday morning and asked me what I was doing after I was done hockey. And I said, ah, you know what, uh, Mr. D, I, I honestly, I really don't know. And he's like, well, why don't you, you ever think about getting into refereeing at the time you looked up, you know, in Guelph, there was like Ron Asseltine and uh, Andy Van Helleman, uh, McCreary all those guys, Gregson, they all lived in the city of Guelph, right? So, you know what? I just took a chance. I remember showing up to the University of Waterloo to this referees camp with a Condor's red helmet and my skates. And Greg Dvorsky was like, Washer, what the hell are you doing? Him and Scotty Driscoll were sort of the camp counselors. So Devo, Devo, Devo had to drive home and go get me equipment. But because I could skate, you know, for the most part, all these other people, I had NHL gear on, right? So they were coming up to me and saying, Hey, what are you doing here? Right. You're, you're, you're already in the NHL. And I was like, no, no, this is just boring stuff. <laughs> 
So how we would do it, guys, is we would, I think it was the U-17s did their camp uh, for Ontario, for Team Ontario uh, uh, at that time at the University of Waterloo at Columbia Icefields. And Scotty Driscoll and Greg Dvorsky, they, they put, they mic'd my ear and they were telling me, okay, washer, skate up to the blue line. If it's offside, blow your whistle. I had no clue what was going on. Like absolutely no clue what was going on, but you, you still, you keep going with it. And because of my skating abilities, I, I worked uh, golf minor hockey my first year and junior maybe a handful of junior B games, but mostly junior C games. And then within one year, I was, as a linesman, was working in the uh, ECHL, United Hockey League, the OHL, excuse me, in the OHA. So I, it took me like one year to just do it. And then I referee, sorry, I lined for like seven years, five to seven years. And then the first league to give me an opportunity of referee. And I worked like all the finals uh, as a linesman. And then the UHL came to me and said, Hey, washer, you ever think about refereeing? And sometimes when I was lining, some of the referees would say, Hey, washer, should I have called this? And I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'm making a hundred bucks in a game. You're making 300. Why are you asking me? Give me the 300 if I'm making the calls out here. Right. So I would do that. So then I just started doing it. And then it evolved to me being, I think I refereed for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, and then five years as a linesman. So many stories, lots of good, good, good guys, lots of fights with coaches, not, not fights, but verbal fights. Right. But it's, it's all good. It, you know, I, I tell Dave branch, I said to Dave branch a couple of years ago when I saw him, I was like, Hey, branchy, I, I played in this league. I refereed in this league. And if I ever get to even managing or coaching in this league, I doubt the coaching will ever happen, but managing, said, you'll have to name a trophy after me. And he's like, over my dead body, Washington, a trophy after you. Right? So it's just a, you know, friendly joking with, with Dave, right? Dave's been good to me and my family, right? So. Absolutely. Who was who who the um, most heated coach that you experienced while wearing the stripes? Most heated? Probably, probably Vellucci, Mike Vellucci in Plymouth. Right. Just uh, when things were going, not, not Plymouth way, just loses marbles. Right. Dale Hunter was probably, uh, was probably the most, he just, you know, like he was as a player, you, you just, he, he didn't really get too boisterous or too excited, but you, you knew that if, if he didn't like the way you were a referee and it shit was going to get out of hand. Right. And you had to heighten your game because he had guys that could play, you know, very skilled or play that dirty or that rough sandpaper side of the game. Right. You know, Stan Butler, you know, was, was a good guy. Like he tr- always treated us good, but he would lose it sometimes. I remember one game him and Pete DeBoer got at it and uh, you know, I was stuck right in the middle of it. Right. But Stan would always, Stan would always be like, I want to talk to you washer after the game, you know, or in between periods. And I, I, I used to work at Can-Am with Stan. So I'd say, you know what, Stan, absolutely. I will give you the, you can ask away and I'll answer them honestly. Right. Because as a referee, you only have your honesty and your consistency is what you can offer. You don't know what's going to happen in those games back then. Right. It was a little bit rougher, a little bit faster. Right. They still had, you know, line brawls and stuff like that. And it still got a little scary and hairy at that times. Right. But I remember 
I remember Stan, you know, just being heated at me and wanting to talk to me. And then in Brampton, he walked down one side and then the room was there and you, I walked down the other side of the rink and you had to go to the referee's room, which is in the same hallway. So he's like, washer, well, you get your ass down here. I want to talk you, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, that, that, you know, this penalty, I didn't believe, blah, blah, blah. This was a call. This was, call was bullshit. Blah, blah. I said, Hey, Stan, are you done? He's like, yep. I said, can I ask my questions? And I said to him, Hey, Stan, did you practice power play this week in practice? And he's like, yeah. And I said, what about PK? Did you practice that? You know, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. And he's like, yeah. I said, so you knew I was going to call goddamn penalties. thing." <laughs> And he did he didn't say anything. He just sort of looked at me and stopped, turned around and walked to his bench. And then you see him, you know, a couple of weeks later and he's like, Oh, Washer, he goes, You got me. And he goes, I didn't know what to say to you. And I was like, perfect, right? Killer, killer was uh heated at when killer spoke, like you had guys like Mav and Killer and Bert Templeton, right? When those those guys, for whatever reason, I always, you know. I always sort of felt like because they all knew that I played and I, I didn't go out there and try to call a million penalties. I just called what I had to call or what was there in front of me. Right. It's part of that honesty and integrity uh, as an official. Right. But I remember, um, you know, refereeing with killer when those guys spoke, you, you knew something, you, you missed something, right. Because they didn't speak very often. Right. But then you clue on very quick sometimes where the more arguments you had with killer, the more beer you got after the game. <laughs> Sounds about right. right. And you're not going, once you're in Ottawa, you're not going back until the next night. Right. <laughs> but you know, you tried to stay away from those guys, right. And making sure that, you know, you just refereed the game to the best of your ability and with integrity and honesty. Right. I want to take that just a step further. Cause that's obviously how you're dealing with the other professionals. In, in the game, those coaches and the players, et cetera. But from the fan perspective, it's the least, it's the least, uh, the most thankless job that there is. And, and look, we've had lots of conversations, Pope and I on the air. And, and I, I admit to being, I'm, I'm trying to get better. I'm still probably harder on the officials than I should be, but can you take us onto the ice washer? Like what's it like as you're trying to do that job with so much going on around you? Yeah, there's lots going on, right? You got, you know, your players are talking to you. You got the game that, you know, game situations and game plays happen in a split second, right? And you got to make a call. You got to make a decision as to whether that was a penalty, not a penalty. You got fans yelling at you. You got coaches yelling at you. Sometimes back when I first started, I remember Mike Kelly banging. I was just a linesman, but Al Kimmer, Kimmer was refereeing the game. And Mike Kelly's banging on the side, hanging over the Memorial Gardens in uh, Guelph, just banging and going nuts. And again, the crowd is on top of you. So when they see their GM going nuts, just total chaos in the game, right? You got to control all that. There isn't one referee that referees at any level that wants to make a mistake, right? They're like this. It's not pre like, even, even if you have a run in with a coach or a player, one game, you don't go into that game, the following game and say, Oh, I don't forget you, you know, as a referee, you sort of let that go and you just move on to your next game. Right. And, and that the good referees have, have obviously, a t uh, you know, a task or a skill to be able to do that, right? Because it's not easy, you know, losing a grudge that, you know, some some guy just thinks you blew the game, right? But I always, you know what, to, to, to my disadvantage or advantage, I always talk to the players. But even as a linesman or as a referee, I would rather talk to them 
then call a penalty, right? And and guys like Jimmy Lever and Bill Prisniak, they would, you know, just being an ex-player, you know the game, right? You did, I just I just had to be taught the mechanics, but you know the way, you know, tit for tat, you can sort of let that go. But all my supervisors, Ken Bowden Distal, they always used to say, Washer, because you played and and your style of officiating, you could let stuff go because the they the you just had rapport with those guys, right? So it's all about rapport and relationship, right? There's the odd time where I'd get into a verbal match and stuff like that with coaches, but it never went anywhere, right? It would just, once it sort of just aired out, you just go into your room, you go on home and you, you know, you get ready for the next day. As somebody who played and officiated, what do you think of video review? Well, if you're on the receiving end of the good video review and it turns out into your favor, right? It's, it's, it's a, it's a handy thing, right? But if it goes against you, you know, again, some of those video reviews that I've even seen, like even now, right? Some of them take like 10, 15 minutes. And I, I, when I was involved with the game on the ice still as an official, they didn't want that, right? They wanted the games to still stay within the two, two hour and 15 minute uh, you know, ice sessions, right? But sometimes those goal reviews now take 10, 15 minutes. You can, that's like a, another additional period or intermission where you can wipe that, you know, your MO right out, right? Your your flow, your pace can take the take someone's or the team's game right out, right out of the game, right? Their pace. So I, I think it comes in handy at sometimes, but you know, as long as it, they keep it in check and trying to put it in perspective of what it's used for. I, I know what it's used for. And so do you guys, they just want the right call made on the ice. Right. And you know what, when you're an owner, these franchises are not a couple hundred thousand dollars anymore. Right. So you got to understand the financial impact, right. Or the karma impact. Look at what happened to the Rangers in that one game be, uh, before London, right. That, that to me, you know, they video reviewed it. They made a judgment call whoever that was, and they disallowed the goal, right? Karma came back and bit London in the ass the, the game following because in that overtime period I was watching, right? London was all over Kitchener. But you know what? The pace, the, the game turns around and the transition goes back down. Brochu kicks out a, a shot and it comes right to uh, Patizian and he fires at home, right? Knocks London out, right? That karma has a bad way of returning and biting, biting people where it shouldn't be bitten, right? So I, I'm wondering when, when you're a liney in the old United league, I mean, man, you must've, you must've had to step into some phrase over there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the, there, I remember one night uh, you want to talk about the fan interaction, right. And the response, I remember taking a slap shot in the back of my middle back in, in, in the, in Port Huron, it was a very, very, very small, small rank. So you, once that defenseman was on that dump in, and focused on it and they're playing in the United league for a reason and not the national hockey league. There was no, I wasn't getting, I just had to eat this puck. And this, the, I remember this fan was yelling at me and screaming, you know, get out of the way. Right. Obviously with profanity and stuff like that. And I was in so much pain. I, I think I lost my breath. I had to write an apology letter because, because I told I probably said something I shouldn't have said back to her. Right. And it got, and of course the fan complains and I, I, I tried to, to deal with the referee in chief. I'm like, I think it was Mitch Lambert at the time, ex player as well. 
right? Played a number of years in Oshawa and then Hershey. And I was like, Mitch, I just took a, a full-fledged dump-in slap shot. My back has got a welt the size of a pancake. And I have, you're asking me to write an apology letter? Are you crazy? Right? But again, you just did it because they were season ticket holders or whatever, right? But, you know, you wouldn't think about that. But if you, if you can't get a, as a referee or as a linesman, you know, you know how narrow-minded some of those guys are. They're focused on doing their job, not where the linesman or referee are. And then that puck's coming down there. And, you know, God, look at Hasty. He's Hasty and I got drafted to Kingston together, and he's still moving out there, right? He's he's got uh, he's got ninja like reflexes, you know, still out there. But in those smaller rinks back in the day, all those rinks are pretty big, right? I don't know if I don't know if my buddy Hasty would be able to get out of the way as quick as he does now. Well, well I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. I was going to bring that up. It happened. I I remember distinct distinctively twice this year where he's been. I mean, bean with a puck. And obviously the players say something to him and in press row, we can hear him. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm like, <laughs> As a player, I'm like, just skate away, dude. Don't go anywhere near that man. You got me, Chris. Cause I was going to say, well, hasty would have just turned around and been a professional as nice as no. Guy, right? Well, he's not, a nice guy, but he's loud. Yeah, he's just yeah, like, well, and he's, yeah, he's honest too. He's like, I'm in my spot. What do you want me to do? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you know, as in that in those situations, fellas, think about this, right? From a from a, an official standpoint, if I and I had that, you know, players would yell at me, "Get out of the way! Get out of the way!" And I'd be like, "Hey, jackass, you got uh, eighty-two feet the other way to shoot. Why are you shooting in that other two feet that I'm right here in your lane, right? Because you can't, right? Yeah. I used to talk to guys all the time like that, right? Especially, you know." I can say it now because I'm not officiating, right? But guys would get on me, oh, that's a horseshit call, blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, you know what, dude, I, horseshit call or not horseshit call, your PK is terrible and you need to work on your power play because it's brutal. doesn't matter if I call 10 calls for you guys or against you guys. You ain't scoring tonight with that power play I just saw. And I could talk to them like that because I, could, I was able to break down the game, right, and say, you can blame me. As you guys know, the officials get blamed for a lot more than they should. But you know what? If you know the game from a playing perspective and from an official standpoint, you could be able to talk about that. When you're when you're on the ice as an official, um, I know you got a job to do. But do you recall a player washer that you saw and thought, "Oh my!" Now here is a high skill player. Yeah, there's there there was lots of guys that come to mind: Corey Perry, Mike Richards, Jeff Carter. Uh, Joe Thornton was, I, I think, uh, like Boyd Devereaux and those guys too were good, really good players, but I was just starting out when those guys were there. Right. So I probably worked 10 or 15, maybe games in, in the OHL my first year as a linesman. I worked until Christmas and then got cut off, but guys that you remember, John Tavares, right. I, I, I did some of his games where I think he got 50 goals in 49 games or something like that in Ottawa. Right. You know, good player, Steven Stamkos. Like, I watch Steven Stamkos now, and the way he scores sort of in that OV sort of spot, just, you know, and that's just off the half wall, but sort of by that face-off dot. And he's had those one-timers since he was 16, and, and I remember seeing those exact same plays being played out in Sarnia, 
right? You see, you don't lose your characteristic traits, right? Like what you see in junior, you usually end up seeing in the pros, right? But when you watch Steven Stamkos rip those one-timers, again, I never refereed OV and I never refereed OV or, you know, Ovechkin in the NHL, obviously, right? But you did in junior with some of those other guys and, you, you know, their traits, when you see it now, you just go, hasn't changed a bit, right? Saw those when they were 17 years old. And even when, even when you see that now, kids will get better. When, with me scouting now for the last five, this, this past draft was my fifth draft. They, they, they get better. They get bigger, stronger, and faster and better. But their, their characteristic traits or their attributes, they get better. But they're still the same as when you see them in midget, especially the higher picks, right? You'll, you'll see guys, you know, and you'll just be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, he's he's honed his game. He's gotten better. He's gotten more consistent, you know, but we saw all those traits and all those attributes in midget, right, leading into your draft year, right? You, so, you talk about those draft. You talk about those drafts. I'm just curious on who the better scout is. Is it Joe Washkaruk or is it Joel Washkaruk? Well, and why cousin, did your parents do that to you guys? <laughs> So don't Joe ask my, my cousin, Joe, I've been fighting it since my, so Joey's uh, Joe's older than me. And so you have to blame my, my parents for putting the L, but Joe, my dad's name is Joe. Uh, obviously my cousin's name is Joe. We, I grew up calling him Joey and then me. And then even when I was referee and my cousin gets to it all the time, it's like, are you the coach or are you the referee? Right. And now it's like, Hey, Joel, you work for Oshawa? I'm like, no, Ottawa. Oshawa is my other one. But claim to fame, I, I, Chris, with only being my fifth draft, my cousin's claim to fame, and, and rightly so, is he was behind that Anthony Sorelli, uh, right? That's where he is. He, uh, my cousin was either coached or helped mentor the Mississauga uh, AA and AAA program. At the time, he was coaching with Don Cherry in for the Mississauga Ice Dogs. And then when that, uh, when he left the Mississauga Ice Dogs, he now coaches and has for years the Mississauga Chargers. So he had followed Anthony Sorelli up as a AA player. I think uh, in midget, he played for my cousin in the Mississauga Chargers and obviously with Joe's ties with Oshawa. Um, he brought Anthony Sorelli to uh, the Oshawa Generals. But a small little story with, with, with regards to how my cousin ties into the Oshawa Generals is uh, my cousin, Farzi, listen to this here. So my cousin, gotcha. played, my cousin played with Roger Hunt, Mike Kelly, and uh, a couple other guys in Humber College. And all those guys, right, are obviously now, like Mike Kelly is the director of player scouting for the Oshawa Generals and, and Roger um, is the GM, but I used to see all those guys when I played in the OHL, my cousin didn't drink. So he would just drive these guys around. And when I played like the Hamilton Dukes or, uh, you know, the, I just remember all those guys coming to watch me play. And we talk about that now. Let's right? just be honest, Washer. Okay. The Humber college broadcasters sucked. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I they had, any they had them. Yeah, I don't exactly. know if they did either. I don't know why we had them at college. Yeah, who cares college. if they did? It's Humber. <laughs> it's Humber. <laughs> I, I know you're going to be biased. I don't even here, know but... where Humber is. <laughs> exactly. It's by a river somewhere. Who cares? Exactly. Who cares? Never heard I, of you. I, I know you're going to be biased, but I, I do want to, because five years with the Ottawa 67s, and I was telling anybody who would listen the year that got cut off by COVID, the first when it first hit us, right? 1920, 
heading into that playoff. Um, I would always say the Ottawa 67s were the team that took it the hardest for obvious reasons. Some people would argue with Peterborough on that side. Some people would say Saginaw over on the West side, but I mean, how tough was that for the organization washer? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, not, not demotivating by any means because we, we always try to draft the best players we can in every draft. Right. But just leading up to, just leading up to what we had, right. We, we, my first year we lost to Hamilton who ended up going far um, in the playoffs. Right. Um, we lost four straight. And then the following two years after that, we were in first place. I think either first place in the OHL or first place in the CHL as well. So, you know, we had, we had the coaching staff, we had the players, especially in 2019 when COVID hit definitely uh, you know, what do you do? Right. But definitely deflating. We knew that uh, as you guys know, it's not easy to, be successful and you know just one bad bounce could put you out or or make you successful in going on to the next round and we never got to prove our worth right we never got to show our goods um you know did we expect that uh big things were on the horizon absolutely right but we you just you know when you once you get knocked down like we all did in different aspects of sport and in life when this pandemic first hit um you just get up and wipe yourself off and move on. And now we're looking for, we're looking for the future. What a messed up world uh, that's been for the last two years. Right. But uh, you know, um, we're looking to hopefully retool, uh, you know, this year we had one of the youngest OHL teams uh, in the OHL. You know, we, we, we had a successful year. The one thing that we really like about our kids that we have this year is their compete level which you can't teach, right? They either either have that relentlessness, that pursuit of always trying to get bigger and better. You know, we feel that uh, we have that foundation in place, you know, from COVID. Like, guys, during COVID, last year, or the year before, the year before, believe it or not, I ended up watching OHL draft-eligible kids in a backyard in Kitchener. So uh, uh, I think his name is Peter Hambly, Mr. Hambly. So he's a oh, yeah, teacher. He does that cool rink. Yeah. So he's, yeah. Got a refriger- he's got a refrigerated rink. You can play like two on two, three on three. Right. And he reached out to me through Cal Christner. So Cal Christner and Kian played all the way up and then Cal played a little bit in Mississauga. So Cal must've given him my number and he phoned me and he said, Hey, listen, I, I, my kid is playing for HP. I'm going to invite some of the players from Kitchener. I'm going to invite some of the players from Waterloo. And I, I reached out to all the local scouts, Peterborough, uh, North Bay, Windsor, a couple of other guys to say, Hey, if you're interested, these kids are going to be playing on a two on two outdoors. That's where I ended up watching Murray Hubert the very first weekend. And I were the only ones who showed up right And Murray being the gentleman that he is, you know, he was very like, we were all just like, wow. I hope I, I said, he's like, washer, let me take a picture. He took a picture of me watching these kids with my Ottawa 67s uh, scouting book. Right. And you just talk to the kids because I, I always said, my wife was like, you're really going to do this. I'm like, one, they're local, they're local kids. And if my kids were going through it, the least I can do is put on long johns and go sit 
outside and watch these kids play, right? Because that's all we were watching during COVID is practices, right? So that's the least as I could do as a person of this community is to go out and watch these kids and give them an honest, you know, fair rating. And I'd talk to them and they would ask questions. And of course, I could only give them the perspective of the 67s of how we operate and how we run our program uh, and what the expectations is of our players or our draft eligible players or players of interest, we call them, right? But I said to Murray when he snapped that photo, I said, you know what, this is history, but I hope I never have to do this shit again to watch a prospect. Like it was just, you know, but you just did what you did because we were still having to draft. We didn't know when. Right. And you, we had to prepare the best way possible. Right. And that's what we did. So crazy. I, I know he's not around as much on, I'm sure. Well, I don't know if he's around as much during the draft days and during drafts and stuff, but not around day to day in Brian Kilray being a member of the 67s organization though. What's it like when he is around when you, when he just holds court and you get to listen to countless stories, stories from a hockey icon. Stories. It's the stories, him and Bert, like they're, they're, they're like Bert and Ernie, like they don't go anywhere without each other. Right now killer. I've always had a good relationship with those two. Right. So, but when I joined, like they are, they are the, they are the legends of when they're in that room, they're just one of us. Right. But to say that his presence didn't play a role in the rooms, like though we, they still scout for us in the Ottawa area. They go to the tournaments. Like they, they didn't do it this year because one of them had, I think Bird had, or Killer had COVID, but uh, they didn't, uh, they go to the OHL cup, they scout, they have a say on our draft table. Um, and uh, you know, Dave Cameron or Andre Turney, whoever, and James Boyd, Jan Eggert, they would always say, you know, hey, Bert, hey, Keller, what do you think, right? And honestly, they are old in age, but they still are able to pick out the attributes of players that they like. And uh, who does that? I think Killer's told me he's at the – I had beers with him at the drive. I think he's 80 – I think he's 86, right? Now – when I first started five years ago, they used to sit around after the draft day with about five or six or seven beers. Now it's just one tall boy. They're gone. (laughs) (laughs) But when, when they do start telling stories, it's quiet. Right. And people that aren't even associated with our, with our team, they'll just sit there and listen. And then the names, right. Obviously they're getting older. Right. So even when I talk to them about players, they'll say to me, okay, washer, what years? Right. Like I was telling them, you know, about the Sangster scenario that they traded for him. And they'll say, okay, what year was that roughly washer? I said like 90, 91. Right. And they'll be like, once you give them that, they can zero in on their roster of who was playing for them at the time. Right. It's, it's, you know, but they're, you know, but they're always professional. Like they come in, like killers always wearing the turtleneck. Like you saw them at the, uh, I was there as well at the prospects game. Right. They're all in a suit and tie when other guys are just wearing, you know, business casual. They're, 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 they're always professionals. Right. But the stories, right. Is I remember when I first uh, was on the scouting staff and one of the younger guys, he's not on our staff now because he went to law school, but we had worked the whippy silver stick. And these are long hours guys. Like we sometimes we're at the rink at like eight, seven, eight in the morning. And we're there till eight at night and then we'll go and and we'll have some appetizers or meals and a couple beers. Right. 
but this this he was a university student and he ordered water and killer heard that <laughs> and killer yells down hey did someone just order water right and so one of the guys beside killer is like yeah he just ordered water he says who in the hell's having a shower down there <laughs> right <laughs> Like, and, and to me, again, that was five years ago. So he was like 81, but he was still with it. Right. And the yeah. jabs. And, you know, I remember like he'll, he'll, we'll be in that room, even at training camp, whatever it'll be. Right. And he'll lay his jabs in on Boydie or Dave Cameron or the bear, right. Andre Turnier. And, you know, be, he'll be like, you know, I want, I can't even give you a scenario or a name but he'll be like hey boy do you want to trade a couple used bags a couple pucks and a couple broken sticks for and hit this guy for a hockey player right and you're just like oh my god killer you can't say that stuff right now right but you know what he can right and him and Bert guys even now you'll see them we all get to Lansdowne Park or TD right into the football and they come in there in their car and it's got its 67th logo on it they travel all together it probably just reeks of cigar i've never <laughs> been inside that i've never been inside that but like i said it's like it's like those guys off muppets that sit in the sit in the stands or bert and ernie right they're always beside each other they golf they were telling me they golf when uh they used to golf every day now they just golf uh monday wednesday fridays right so Amazing. So good to hear. Imagine being on the golf course. Like imagine being like showing up and you're like, oh, me me and my brother went golfing today. So imagine just showing up and they're like, oh, we're paired you with another twosome today. Yeah. And it's, and it's those two. And like your day is just made. Yeah. You know what you got to get? Chris, you got to get one of those little stands here and I'm not very tech savvy. You just put it on your golf cart and you hit record. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you guys like the stories that again, once you give them the error or once they get on a topic like the, they're just great human beings. Like they're, they're, they, they're just good people. They make everyone feel welcomed. Although they're the people like, you know, we always say we get pictures. Like I have pictures with them because they're, I always say to them, Hey guys, do you mind if we get a group shot, you know, of all our scouting staff, because, you know, I, I don't take it for granted. And you know what, one day you're, you know, God forbid, you're not going to be around. And, you know, we had these good times. Right. And uh, you know, the stories that they tell and the more beers they have, like the more stories they tell and the more elusive they get. And uh, you know, you can't replace that gentlemen. You can't replace the stuff. They've forgotten more than we'll ever know in this sport, right? And uh, you'll you'll never, ever replace that. So when they speak, we always listen. Uh, We always value their input, both of them. But I'm telling you that you would think that an 85-year-old or an 86-year-old and Bird's probably 83 have lost it and the games pass them by. But I'm telling you, the the attributes that they bring out, because Boydie will ask them, well, why do you think this, Right. And he'll say, well, I, you know, I saw him play here and here's what I like. And here's the kid. And even if we were not fortunate enough to select the boy, the kid that usually Boydie and Jan and the guys and myself are talking to killer and bird about, if we don't, if we're not fortunate enough to pick them, they go usually right sort of after we, we make our selection. Right. And they're not far off. Right. So. I want to be uh, I want to be re- respectful of your time here, Washer. But I, I've got to ask one more before we go. Yep. Uh, Joel Wash Karak, a scout. Would he draft Joel Wash Karak, the seventeen-year-old hockey player? Good question. 
Really, Farzi. Great question. Great. Yeah, question. yeah I, 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 I think so. Right. I, I, I was a little bit back in the day, uh, not a loose cannon, but I was, I didn't like rules, right? <laughs> <laughs> which made it really I ironic. And you know that I refereed. I, you know, even <laughs> when I when, when I refereed, I figured not. Screw it. You know, yep. I broke all these rules. I might as well now try and enforce it. But you can't. And that's like that's like me being a really, really skilled guy and then pushing a being a coach and pushing to be completely, you know, rough, tough and tumble and completely offside. But yeah, you know what, Farzi, to, great question. I would draft me because it's the fabric that I believe you know, that I believe is important in this game and still needs to be a part of it. You need to be tough. You need to be hard to play against, right? You need to be super skilled. You need to be able to play. You know, I always say, you know, what they'll ask me, even with my own team, you know, and I always say you need to be able to score four or five goals or 10 goals and then kick the shit out of them or kick the shit out of them and then score five, six, seven, ten 10 goals, right? But I had, you know, I, I you know, part of my preaching right. Is, is the way my kid plays, you know, both my boys, right. Even the one that plays at Wellesley, he, he, you know, does his best and he works hard and he's a defenseman, but he also brings that sandpaper side of it. You know, we're Kean, I've never had, you know, I always told you when, when after about Adam or Pee Wee, I just said to him, Hey bud, like those 30, you know, whatever the goals were a year, you know, that's going to come to an end. Right. And if you look at my son's games, year over year, they're pretty consistent, right? Once he gets into it, right? Like he'll average, you know, in his first first year in the OHL, first year in the American League, 10 plus goals, you know, similar type assists, like 500 that way. And he always has had like, you know, 40, 50, 60 penalty minutes. I think this year he ended up with, uh, you know, about 50 pims. He had a couple good scraps and fight. I always say he fights like his mother, right? So, you know, it's all good. Not but touching yeah. that one. No, it. no. <laughs> well, she, she doesn't trust me with the, the three of us running around here. She doesn't. And her brother played for the Cambridge Winterhawks and with like uh, Scotty Walker and uh, Todd Harvey. So he, he there, trust me, I'm a saint compared to this guy. And my brother. <laughs> he is, uh, he's a great guy. He's a, he's a police officer, but uh, in Toronto and, but, you know what? I, I could come home and do a whole bunch of stuff and it wouldn't phase her because she's grown up with it her whole life. Right. But you know what? Yeah, I would draft, I would draft a 17 year old Joel Washkirk. I'd straighten him out real quick. Right. <laughs> All right. But you know what? I if Mav did to straighten you out. I don't know if you have a shot here. He did. He did. But you know what? Mav worked hard, but he also played hard. Right. And as you got older, as you got older with Mav, right. You got to know Mav as a person. Right. Because, you know, you came to work as long as you came to work. Right. And then he would always, you know, have beers with the vets and the 20 year olds. And, the, and a lot of the overagers, Chris, a lot of the guys that played overage for math, Bigsy, um, at when I played Garth Joy, they all came back and coached with math. Right. So that tells you the relationship right there. Big right. Time. And, uh, you know, I miss those guys in the game. And uh, like I said, we're, we're fortunate enough to still have Burton Keller in, in, the, in it, but we've lost a few good ones, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know what? The game will always evolve. There, there's more good people in the game than there is bad. And uh, you know what? We just keep the good people, just keep weeding the, the bad people out of the game. And 
just make it better player wise and coach wise and scouting wise. Right. I know we have to let you go and I know it's almost Farwell's bedtime, but I just want to point quickly point out, um, yes. <clears throat> Caden, obviously playing in Wellesley, big win in the first round against Cambridge, lost in Tavis, lost against Tavistock in the second round. Yeah. Kean, who we've mentioned a couple of times onto the third round with Springfield. I'm curious about Kean being in Springfield and I'm wondering about his hearing because I know his assistant coach tends to be a bit of a pit bull on the bench. And I'm wondering if he has anything to say about Daniel Kachuk because he used to coach the Rangers and this guy does not shut up. It's yeah, unbelievable. He, really? Yeah. He, he, I, I met Daniel. So I went up to see Kean uh, a couple months ago. So when he was in Belleville, we were right in the, the January shutdown. So he was in Belleville uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And uh, my wife was losing it because we couldn't even go to go visit. We couldn't go to the Belleville games, which we would have. I haven't seen my, I sent my kid to Slovakia. I hadn't seen Kean play in two years. And then uh, Sunday he was, they, they stayed at the Harbor Castle, downtown Toronto. And Lori was like, you know, he's an hour away and we can't even go watch him because they wanted nothing to do with COVID. And then hasty, tried to sneak he phoned me and said hey washer i'm doing kian's game against the marlies if i can get you in will you come i'm like yeah absolutely but then you think about it and you're like hey hasty how am i like there's no fans allowed right like (laughs) how am i how are we gonna do this right and he's like well washer he goes i said no no listen we i I said don't don't backdoor me in there like as an official or a backup official i said because if it this is my son's first year. He's the only 20 year old on the American league. Right. And I just said to him, hasty, you better call the Marley's office. And then he phoned me back and he's like, washer, you're right. I can't do it. They don't want the COVID or the exposure. And I was like, but I ended up going into Laval. I hit a few games on the Sunday driving up to Laval. I went to go watch Markham and Quinty and doing my job for Ottawa took Keen out for dinner, but I ended up meeting Daniel Kachuk uh, in the lobby. Right. And he calls me big washer and I didn't know how to take that. Right. Because, you know, of the baldness and the 60 extra pounds since Farsi interviewed me 27 years ago at Conestoga college. Right. But um, he, he was a great guy. And I, yeah. I just said to him, Hey, Chucky. And I said, can I call you Chucky? Cause that's what Kean calls you when I talked to him, but Kean's never, you know, he says that they are very, you know, it's professional hockey. Like it's very mm. thorough. It's very regimented. Like he loves, uh, he loves the lifestyle, right? He shows up at the rink every morning, right? He has coffee and breakfast there and lunch, and then just has to worry about, you know, playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he was told at the beginning of the year, he's on the outside looking in and he was only, he was only healthy scratched. I think maybe two or three regular season games and, one playoff game. So I think the future is bright for him. I just hope it works out for him. It's hard. You know, many are called, few are chosen, right? So it's, it's not an easy task, but one, one of only, I think two or three 20 year olds on that team. And I only brought up Chucky just because Mike Van Ryan, when he coached in Kitchener, used to call yeah. him his little chihuahua on the bench oh, really? <laughs> because on, he's well, like, he's such a good hockey player. Like his skating is something yeah, I've never perfect. seen from anyone else, Agreed. Agreed. but during the game, he just sees so much. He just doesn't stop yelling. He would come yeah. like after one game, he'd come out and his voice would sound like that. And he couldn't talk. I'm like, what are you doing tomorrow? Like you have another game tomorrow. How are you going to yeah. be able to coach? 
Yeah, he was just he was awesome. I'll have, I love. I have it. to ask Keen about that tomorrow because he 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 that's who he does his video breakdown with, right? Because Chucky runs the forwards, right? Yeah, and genius. he'll say the odd time Banny, uh, Drew Bannister will chime in there on some, but he says that mostly on his video reviews, Chucky runs the show with the forwards, right? But he he's never said that. So, uh, but uh, maybe, now maybe he's quieted yeah. down. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Washer. I hope that because you clearly haven't, neither have I. I hope in 27 years we can be watching back this interview we've done together and just have a good some some shits and giggles together over this over all these years in the game. Hey, I could do this every night. You can call me tomorrow and we can rock it out and (laughs) you know get to know each other even better. (laughs) I love it. I love love it. it. (laughs) Yeah, guys, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, it's a pleasure. It's great talking about my career and my family, and you know, you guys are great. Thank you so much for having me on it and still making me an important hockey person. You are, buddy. Every time we see you around the rink, you got it. Thanks for doing Absolutely. this. Absolutely. It's that big smile, eh? Or, eh? <laughs> you know it. Eh? Okay, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good luck with everything. Have a good summer, fellas. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.